Welcome to Decode Your Burnout, the podcast where we crack the code on burnout based on three primary factors, your programming, environment, and personality. We also feature experts who debunk the myths about what it takes to be successful in their industry and spin those tips to fit the workplace so you can optimize the way you work. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Grossman, a psychologist turned coach, author, and burnout expert. If you're burned out and want to go from exhausted to extraordinary, book a free breakthrough session with me by going to bookachatwithsharon.com. And if you want to see how you're doing and what to focus on next, download the burnout checklist. You'll find the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly forward slash check your burnout. Now let's get started. Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of Decode Your Burnout with me, Dr. Sharon Grossman. And you know how when you're burned out, you're just absolutely exhausted? And it could be because you're burned out. It can also be because you're just not sleeping very well. And there are a variety of different reasons why that might be the case. But if that's you, then listen up, because today I have Dr. Shane Creato, who is a double board-certified sleep medicine doctor and psychiatrist. He practices functional sleep medicine, integrative psychiatry, and sports psychiatry. He works not only on the treatment of sleep disorders, but also on perfecting and optimizing sleep, thereby boosting sports performance and workplace productivity. He's the author of the book, Peak Sleep Performance for Athletes, the cutting-edge sleep science that will guarantee a competitive advantage. In addition to working with individual patients, including elite athletes, CEOs, and business leaders, he consults with sports teams to design team-specific and athlete-specific sleep guidelines and strategies off-season, in-season, and pre-season to boost performance. He provides sleep retreats to organizations, and companies, which involve education on sleep performance, screening for sleep disorders, and specific strategies to improve sleep and performance. So in a nutshell, anything and everything related to sleep that you ever wanted to know, Shane, welcome to the program. Thank you. No pressure there, Shannon. Thank you for the warm introduction. It's a pleasure (laughs) to be here. Of course. Well, you do have so many credentials, so much experience, and we are so happy to have you here because this is such an important topic for our audience. Because as you know, there's so much around sleep and stress and burnout that we need to talk about. And I'm excited to see where this goes. But let's just start out with, you know, something that hit me as I was reading your your bio, is you talk about how you have these specific sleep guidelines and strategies that you create for athletes that are off-season, in-season, and pre-season. And I'm kind of wondering if there's a spin on that where we can think about what we do as just not athletes, but just people working in an office, for instance, or working from home, if there are similar sort of guidelines for us related to sleep that we need to consider. Absolutely. Uh, That's why I wrote the book. It's because, sure, those are skills that I use with my elite athletes. However, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or whether you're working as an electrician or a CEO, 
you want to or should want to be the best version of yourself that you can possibly be in your roles, in your personal life, your social life, and your career. And so sleep has to be the foundation stone for our functioning. And, and the crazy thing is, Shan, it's reversed, right? When life gets busy and we're pulled in different directions, the first thing we let go is sleep. The first thing that shrinks is our sleep time. And that's the thing that we need to preserve the most. So I don't care if you're an elite athlete or just someone who wants to be a better version of yourself. For you, sleep has to be the foundation. When I talk about sleep, it's a new buzzword everywhere right now, right? But I talk about timing, quality, and duration. There's a lot of myths out there in terms of sleep hygiene. I don't even like the word hygiene. It's like, what do you do? Wash your sleep? It doesn't make sense to me. But there are certain things that we need to understand in terms of you as an individual. Each one is unique. Different people have different sleep needs in terms of timing, morning birds versus night owls. The younger people, teenagers and kids need way more sleep than adults. It's not normal to wake up unrefreshed. Uh, there's so many things we need to have an understanding of in terms of nuances. And that's where the individualized, personalized, precision-driven sleep protocols that I create come into play. So clearly there's a lot that we need to learn. And I say learn specifically because we don't really get taught this stuff, right? Nobody sits there and says, you know, I mean, we do hear kind of in the background, you you should ideally get eight hours of sleep. And we have all these things that maybe we read in blog articles about, you know, how, as you say, you have this idea of sleep hygiene and what that actually looks like. But we don't always understand how important it really is. And I think that what gets in the way for a lot of folks is a lot of mindset stuff, a lot of, there's a lot of myths out there about sleep. And I think there's a reason why it's the first thing to go, right? And it's usually because we are more motivated to focus on achievement. And so there's too much to do in too little time. So of course, I'm going to stay up late and I'm going to work on the project. I'm, and you know, my boss just sent me an email. And so I need to respond, even though it's two in the morning. So there's all these different things that are pulling us away from sleep. And I think that a lot of it is just we're not very intentional. So yes. I'm wondering what you've seen in terms of these myths around sleep and what happens when we start to deconstruct that. Yeah, so when we understand the underlying concepts that drive our sleep, then we know it's as simple as retraining our brains how to sleep. I always say that God gave us the greatest gift of sleep. He just forgot to give us a user manual, and that's where I come in. So the, the two major drives to sleep, one is a circadian rhythm, melatonin at night, cortisol or the stress hormone in the morning, and the homeostatic drive or your sleep need. So when you wake up in the morning, you've already had enough of sleep. Your tank is full. As you go through the course of the day, you're running out of that. You're staying awake longer. And, and then you're supposed to feel sleepy by the time night comes along. And that has to synchronize with your melatonin rise or your melatonin peak. So you feel sleepy. Then you fall asleep and wake up feeling refreshed. That's ideal. But if any of those things are disrupted in terms of quality of sleep, so deep and dream sleep, adequate amounts, timing of sleep or the duration, 
it's then going to, it's going to be a symphony. It's going to be a cacophony. It's going to be a mess, which is why we have such bad sleep protocols and, and we wake up feeling miserable. There are a lot of myths around sleep. I'll just touch on a few of those things. First of all, people say I'm feeling sleepy, feeling tired all the time. There's a big difference between fatigue and sleepiness. Mm. So sleepiness is, is a good way of knowing if you're sleepy is if I say, well, would you be able to lie down in the middle of the day and would you fall asleep most likely? If the answer is yes, then you're sleepy. If you feel like you've run a marathon, you're exhausted, but you don't feel like you fall asleep very easily, then it's fatigue. Now, sleep deprivation can contribute to both, but sleepiness is important to discern because sleepiness, despite adequate sleep, could mean a, a serious sleep disorder where there's specific treatments for it. Another thing is people say, well, I say, well, do you wake up refreshed? They're like, well, never. Okay, well, when was the last time you felt refreshed when you woke up? I don't know. I don't remember. What does it feel like? So it's not normal to wake up unrefreshed. Sleep is supposed to be restorative. You are supposed to feel ready to go and function throughout the day. That isn't happening. It's either qualitative or timing or a duration issue. Melatonin is a big thing I'm always asked about. So I just want to touch on that a little bit as well, Sharon, today. People say, I'm not sleeping well. I'm just going to buy melatonin from CVS or Walgreens. And then, oh, this isn't working. Let's increase the dose. But melatonin is taken completely wrong. Melatonin is also supposed, supposed to nudge your brain into sleepiness. It's not supposed to improve the quality of your sleep or help you wake up refreshed. It's only supposed to nudge it into sleepiness because it works on that circadian rhythm that I mentioned earlier. And it's supposed to be taken 90 minutes, nine zero minutes before your desired bedtime. Mm -hmm. And it's supposed to be taken in doses of less than three milligrams. Three milligram doses increase your blood levels of melatonin to 10 times those of normal levels. You don't need any more than that. And if you feel like you need any more than that, outside of a rare sleep condition called REM behavior disorder, which I won't touch on today. If you feel you need more, then it's not a melatonin circadian issue. It's an underlying issue that we need to address. Too easily, people just want Ambien or something for their insomnia, but it's always underlying factors that contribute to that insomnia that either precipitate it or perpetuate it, like low vitamin D, can result in sleep disruptions. People don't know about that. The gut microbiome, mold toxicity, anything causing inflammation is going to disrupt the quality of your sleep, what we call sleep fragmentation. And you're going to be functioning like a zombie during the day, like in a fog, in a brain fog, because inflammatory markers tend to do that. You know what it feels like to have the flu or, or COVID, some of our listeners. And you can't make up sleep either. If you say, I'm going to go a week straight for exams or a major assignment I have to submit, you won't be able to make that up in the long term. The damage is done. Within six days, even healthy young males like myself with less than five hours of sleep or five hours of sleep every night have been shown to have symptoms of pre-diabetes, three, three times more likely to develop symptoms of the common cold. Your testosterone levels drop to those of someone who's 10 years older than you. The same applies to women as well. So even one week of sleep 
relative sleep loss can result in major long-term health impacts. One hour of sleep loss with daylight savings time, the next day the rate of heart attacks goes up 24%. So sleep is crucial to regulate, maintain, despite what else is happening in our lives. People say, I'll sleep when I'm dead, right? You'd mentioned this earlier, but you're just going to bring death a lot sooner. Yeah. Well, you've brought up a few different points and I really want to dig a little bit deeper here. So you talked about the difference between fatigue and sleepiness. And I'm curious, you know, one of the biggest signs of burnout that we see is exhaustion. And we call it more of a mental or emotional exhaustion as opposed to a physical exhaustion. And that means that you do see some of that brain fog and difficulty concentrating and things of that nature, which make it harder for you to do your job. So what would you say related to that symptom of burnout and how that relates to sleep and whether sleep can help or, uh, you know, kind of what's the relationship there, if anything? Huge, multiple systems are implicated. So, so okay, we're, I'm going to try and make this as simple as possible. So talk about exhaustion. It can be mental. It can be emotional. It can be physical. Mental exhaustion tends to involve difficulty with concentrating, sustained attention, executive function deficits, multitasking, processing speeds, prioritization, all of which are functions of the frontal lobes, the prefrontal cortex. Now, in my work with Dr. Daniel Amen and doing the SPECT imaging, we see the same patterns on SPECT imaging as I see with my NFL guys, as I see in people with sleep deprivation. Okay, the frontal lobes are primarily affected. I told you what they do. And the temporal lobes are also affected. The temporal lobes help with mood stabilization mm. and short-term memory. So language, new learnings, names and faces. So now you have a double whammy, a triple whammy, actually. You have your frontal lobes, which regulate irrational thoughts, suppress them, more rational thinking, Motivation, drive, pleasure, social connectedness, interest, joy, concentration, sustained attention, executive functioning. And then your temporal lobes can't regulate your emotions. You get super overwhelmed in different situations. Mm. Then your emotional circuits take complete control and your rational brain has no chance of competing. Now, the frontal lobes also driven by dopamine and stress and anxiety are incompatible with dopamine. So now your processing piece is slow. You can't retain information. You're getting into catastrophe mode when you have to, where you have a major assignment on your hands. Sounds like what we're describing with burnout, right? Oh, a hundred percent. Exactly. That's just the direct impact of sleep loss on brain health, blood flow, and activity as we see directly in SPECT imaging. Now we look at the other factors. We look at big studies done in the UK and the Netherlands and the US as well, where we see quantifiable markers of work performance loss, academic deficits associated with sleep loss. So academic performance, the NCHA survey showed that it was on par, sleep deprivation was on par with high-risk alcohol consumption and on average each additional day per week a student reported experiencing sleep problems, it raised the probability of dropping a course by 10%. Mm. One example, if you have one night of sleep loss, 
your memory capacity drops 40%. Get reporting those all nighters unless you want an F instead of an A. There you go. There you go. So, uh, you know, I've had so many people come on the show and share their burnout story and talk about how when they were in the midst of it all, they weren't sleeping. And I think some people aren't sleeping because as we mentioned, they're just trying to get more stuff done. So they're sacrificing sleep. And then we have the other camp of folks that are just so stressed out thinking about all the things related to work and their life and all the things on their to-do list that they can't turn their mind off. And that's a whole other problem that people are facing. So if they are burned out, stressed out, given everything they have on their plate, and now they are trying to get sleep, but as you said, they might have fatigue, but they're not sleepy. What do we do then? Yes. So the problem is, especially high-functioning people, we want to try and control everything within our control. But sleep is about letting go. <laughs> so it's the exact opposite. My athletes have the same problem. My CEOs have the same problem. They want to fix the problem. But sleep is the most vulnerable thing we do. And stress, anxiety is danger mode. They're incompatible, right? So if you're in danger mode, the last thing we're hardwired to do is sleep. Survival mode. Yeah, where that that's our, our protocol. And so if you are trying too hard, it's going to wake your brain up some more. Victor Frankl spoke about this in Man's Search for Meaning, a very, very powerful book. He spoke about paradoxical intent, whether it comes to social anxiety and you're getting pools of sweat in your palms or whether it is um, insomnia, it's about letting go. So if you are having worries about what, what you're going to do the next day, what you didn't do today, if you're anticipating stuff, oh, tonight is going to suck. It's going to be another terrible night of sleep. Have a fixed wake-up time always, all days of the week. Always have a fixed wake-up time because your circadian rhythms control your moods. Um, now we're looking at bipolar disorder, the psychiatry world, as a kind of circadian imbalance or disruption. So you need multiple anchor points for your circadian rhythm, like fixed meal timings, fixed wake-up timings, fixed exercise times, fixed times for meds and supplements. And count backwards, maybe seven and a half hours or nine hours, depending on your age and your sleep need. So if you have to wake up at 7.30 in the morning, 12 a.m. should be your sleep time, not your bedtime, your sleep time. And 11 p.m. an hour before should be a winding down time. 11 p.m. to 12 a.m. It could be deep breathing, warm shower, sauna, Yoga, writing down your to-do list, writing down your worry list, writing down your daily download from the previous day so that you don't use the time in bed to do those things. If you don't do these things, you're going to go to bed trying to sleep. Then you're going to associate the bed with worry. It's called classical conditioning in psychology. Then your brain will think, oh, my bed is a place for worry or TV or phones or reading. And then it's going to drive your cortisol levels up. The less the poorer quality your sleep is, the more your stress hormone cortisol level will increase. That's why people have middle-of-the-night awakenings or very early morning awakenings. And they know they need more sleep, but they're feeling like in this fog, in this jet lag mode. It's because of the cortisol release. So winding down, breathing exercises, meditation, allowing your brain to slowly drift into sleep, to have a protocol for sleep. You can't just switch it on and off like a light bulb. And that's going to drive your cortisol levels down over time. So you're not running on fumes during the day. What about for people who have 
really intense anxiety that manifests in nightmares. Obviously, from everything you're saying, it sounds like their cortisol levels are high in the middle of the night. It's interrupting their sleep. It wakes them up. Is there something that can be done with that? I mean, I think this is kind of the benefit of you not only being a sleep expert, but also being a psychiatrist that you can speak to both of these things. Absolutely. So always look at underlying factors. If you have severe anxiety, see your doctor, get comprehensive blood work done. I want to look at your vitamin D, your thyroid functioning, your iron levels, because iron is needed to make dopamine, zinc, zinc is needed to make adrenaline and serotonin. I want to get all those numbers to see if there's anything amiss that we can correct. And then medications are useful for anxiety, but certain SSRIs like Prozac and Zoloft and Paxil and all those bunch of medications can worsen restless leg syndrome. So they can actually worsen the quality of your sleep. So you got to be mindful. I would first go with supplements like ashwagandha, magnesium, rhodiola, 5-HTP, which is necessary to make serotonin in the brain, GABA, really, really good supplements in the right doses from the right sources could help you in terms of that piece. The other thing to remember is if you're feeling like you're exhausted, you're burned out, it might be something called adrenal fatigue as the functional medicine docs talk about. And whatever pushes your adrenals to the limits, if you're stretched too thin, you can snap. So it's all about mitigating any factors that worsen inflammation, even mold toxicity, Lyme disease, heavy metal toxicities, reducing inflammation burden, reducing stress burden, stress to the body or mental stress, and then using recovery tools like quality sleep to re-regulate your adrenals and come to a new baseline of functioning over time. If you're sleep deprived, your emotional pendulum is going to swing wide. You're going to have mood instability, as we call it in fancy terms in psychiatry, which means you're going to perceive the high tides of the ocean as emotional tsunamis and the low tides as emotional black holes. And then you're also going to have a higher level of anxiety because your stress circuits are on the go. They're on, they're ready to be triggered into catastrophe or defeat. You know, you mentioned earlier about sleep requires us to be able to let go. But when you have people who don't feel safe in the world, they're more prone to anxiety. And now they're trying to fall asleep and maybe they fall asleep, but then they've got these nightmares. So there's this whole um, intermingling of this idea of control and feeling out of control and anxiety and nightmares and sleep issues. So are you saying that if we get tested and we have all of our levels uh, in alignment, whether it's vitamin D, zinc, thyroids, all these things, that that will help maybe change the the level of anxiety and improve our sleep quality? Yes. So it's marginal gains. If your vitamin D levels are in the gutter and we can boost them to normal levels, maybe that improves your sleep by 5%. By itself, 5% will not be noticeable to you. Mm -hmm. But if you have a winding down period before bed, that improves your sleep by 10%. If you have a fixed wake up time, that improves your quality of sleep by another 10%. If you have stuff to mitigate your anxiety during the day, like breathing exercises, meditation, uh, certain supplements, improves your sleep quality by 10 to 20%. Right off the bat, your sleep quality and your consequent anxiety and burnout have improved by 50%. We add more and more layers to this. We have a system in place, a structure, a process. So anxiety tends to be 
related to things that are out of our control. Stress is healthy, stress is motivational, like stress is stress is anxiety. So when we have these multiple things in place, these processes, we know that these things are within our control. We know what to expect. It reduces the anticipatory anxiety right off the bat. Those structures in place, even if you're traveling, you forget your vitamin D, you'll do the other things that you know can help you out. It's going to reduce that stress burden down the line there too. And your adrenals will have time to recover. You know, you mentioned nightmares. The same areas of the brain that create our dreamscape are the main ones implicated in anxiety, the hippocampus and the temporal lobes. So what we're doing during the day or thinking about during the day will manifest in our dreams. And we call it REM instability, rapid eye movements or dream instability, dream sleep instability because of this underlying pattern. Mm. Now, one of the things that we see with some people that burn out is we see a lot of irritability. And is there a relationship? Because you, you talked already about mood and not not really being in control of your mood when your prefrontal cortex is offline and things of that nature. Can you speak to irritability and how sleep might be helpful for that? Yes, I've had a few patients who've whose relationships have been on the line because of anger issues. Anger is a severe manifestation of irritability. People who don't do well at work have had to be fired from multiple jobs because they don't get along well with the colleagues. They're not bad people. They're not bad people, Sharon. They just don't know how to regulate their emotional pendulums. Again, sleep is a foundation of that stuff because your emotional pendulum is regulated by temporal lobes. Your rational brain is controlled by frontal lobes, both of which are affected by sleep loss. So you'll have a shorter fuse, you'll be more irritable, you will perceive issues to be much greater than they actually are. But the corollary is also true. If you regulate your sleep, you drive your cortisol levels down, you help with healing up these areas of the brain, your ability to deal with situational stressors will improve, which is what irritability really is. Wow. So Basically, what we're saying is that sleep can completely transform your life. It helps with your ability to perform on the job. It allows you to manage your emotions better. And it has secondary effects, like not only improving your health, but also perhaps saving your marriage. Saving your marriage, improving your sex life, helping you with weight loss, reducing the risk of diabetes, cholesterol issues, dementia, cancer risk. COVID risk, I could go on and on about those, those specifics and those statistics as well. Yeah, the Dalai Lama rightly said, he said, sleep is the best meditation. Mm, I love it. So what are maybe some tips that you can leave us with for people who are saying, yes, I recognize that I haven't been sleeping, maybe by choice, you know, I've been procrastinating going to sleep, or maybe I just couldn't turn my mind off, but I really need to get more sleep in my life. What can you share with them? Would you like to go on a vacation? <laughs> Every night, sleep is your mini vacation. Mm. Lock it off. So if your wake up time is going to be 7.30 in the morning, 11 p.m. is the start of your mini vacation. Protect it with your life because protecting your sleep will make you a better person for yourself, a better partner, a better employee, 
or a business owner, better human being overall. So you're going to be a better version of yourself. And that I think is our purpose in life, being better versions of ourselves for ourselves and our loved ones. And it's going to help you achieve whatever you need to achieve. It's going to make your life easier. Well, we can't argue with that. (laughs) That's awesome. So Shane, if somebody's listening to this and they're like, yeah, you know, everything you just said, I need you in my life. I need you to help me figure out my levels. I need you to help me get better sleep. I need you to help me be a better performer at work. Where can they find you? My Instagram is peak sleep performance. You can contact me there directly. My website is shanecreata.com. And my book is on Amazon and Kindle, peak sleep performance for athletes. Um, I'm there for you. And anyone who feels they need help, not just in terms of, oh, you're some ambient or trazodone thrown at you, but truly underlying causes, looking at a risk assessment, looking at what we can do to retrain your brain to sleep better for now and for the rest of your life. Yeah, it's so important. So regardless of whether you are a thinker and you can't turn your mind off, if you are a feeler and you just have a lot of resentment for having given everything away and not taking anything back for yourself, or you're a doer and you're just absolutely exhausted from having done so much for so long. Uh, We are talking about how to really rebalance the equation here. And one of the greatest ways to do that is to get more sleep. And I love this idea of taking that mini vacation every single night, because we don't think in this way. We often think about work, 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 and then I'll go on a week vacation. But when you can give that little bit to yourself every single day, it keeps you from burning out. So this has been so fantastic. Shane, thank you so much for being here. And if you're listening to this, and this message has really found its way into your heart. I hope that you take some of the tips that Shane has shared here today. Of course, we'll link to his book if you want to get even more information about what he does. And I ask you to really subscribe to this show so that uh, we can continue to deliver great quality to you. Make sure that you do that on Apple or Spotify and leave us a review, letting us know what you think, feel, or do differently because maybe you're getting more sleep now. Also, if you're watching us on YouTube, leave me a comment or any questions that I can answer in future episodes. And please recommend the show to anyone you know is struggling with burnout, exhaustion, or sleep issues. And once again, we'll be back next week with some more goodies for you. I'll see you then.